0: WBCA Radio is proud to present City Talk where fascinating conversation is alive and well with your host Boston radio veteran Ken Meyer. Hello again everybody. Welcome to another edition of City Talk and tonight we're going to talk to a gentleman who was and is at the very top of his profession that of photography. And he is an award-winning photographer has uh, gotten many awards for his work in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And he and I got together because of a couple of mutual friends, namely Jeff Idelson, whom you've heard on this program, and also Donna Helper. So, Bob Busser, it is really a treat to have you.
1: Ken, thank you very much. I really appreciate this. This is, uh, I've been looking forward to talking to you for a long time. Donna has really talked you up, and so has uh, Jeff.
0: <laughs> oh, I hope that you feel the same way when we get finished.
1: Well, the all funny right. thing. with well, the funny thing is, I I texted Jeff and I said, Jeff, you'll never guess how I I have talked to Ken Meyer and, and his words back were, "How the hell do you know him?" <laughs> I said, well, "Well, we have a mutual friend Donna who's a lot like Ken. Donna knows everybody, and so."
0: Uh-huh. Well, first of all, answer me an age-old question. Sure. Is one picture really worth a thousand words?
1: absolutely it's. there are so many iconic photographs you know um the one that comes to mind is um um i think i i can't remember who took it but uh when babe ruth was dying at uh, his day at yankee stadium and he was leaning on the bat you know um you don't have to you don't even have to say anything uh it's you see the emotion and the drama there um there's you know a lot of sports photos Exactly like that. Joe Namath waving his finger, you know, as he beat the Colts. Um, You don't need to know what happened to know something good happened and you just soak it in.
0: Well, there's another one that Boston fans are fond of that was taken by a guy named Frank Ryan. And that was in the 1970 Stanley Cup playoffs when Bobby Orr scored that memorable goal against St. Louis
1: absolutely yeah um i I can still i've seen the highlights well you know a million times Ken. and you see bobby flying through the air like you know diving and and it it is iconic and it's just it's the luck of the draw you're there at the right place at the right time like the catch in san francisco from montana to dwight clark the the photographer was right right there at the right time it's luck a lot of it is luck and kind of you kind of have to take your intuition with it too like Maybe they're going to throw to this side of the end zone or maybe, you know, they're going to come up this side of the ice and you, you kind of position yourself. Sometimes you win, sometimes
0: you lose. Now, I don't know if we can draw parallels here, but when I was 10 years old, my parents gave me a tape recorder and I fell in love with the microphone and, uh, uh, you know, putting together my own radio programs and all that kind of stuff. And I can remember growing up hearing about different kinds of cameras like the Kodak Brownie and when the Polaroid came out you could get a picture within 60 seconds did your parents have anything to do with your becoming interested in photography like mine did with radio
1: no not at all um I'm not to get into details but I was kind of like the black sheep of the family because even at a young age I knew I just didn't fit in right with the cool kids you know what I mean um, I had different views, and, and I wasn't a loner, but I've always walked to my own drummer, and one of my buddies told me, he said, Bob, I will tell you this, and I take my hat off to you, you've lived life on your terms, and it's true, uh, it's been good and bad, you know, you take the good with the bad, but um, to develop the way I did, I, I did it mostly on my own with a few photo classes, and then just, I mean, I've taken more bad photos than I have good, you know, they ended up in the trash, but, you um, it's just it's just repetitive. It's like doing anything else. It's like doing a radio program. Once you get your first one in, and you're t- and you're on your tenth or your twentieth, it's a breeze. You can you know you, you know what you want to do, and that's that's what that's what I did. I I took my camera everywhere just to learn, and photograph, and and um, you know learn lighting and everything else, and you know exposure, uh, and and I learned on film. Now it will be. <laughs> pretty cost prohibitive to do what I do because I go to a ballpark and I shoot I don't know 200 photos can you imagine going to you know the, the local photo hut and saying yeah here's 20 rolls of film
0: can I them by tomorrow no it's not yep, gonna happen. I, rem- I remember those days when you used to take the film to the drugstore and all that kind of stuff now we have both shared our uh, connections with sports athletes and different people the first athlete that I ever met was Joe Pepitone, (laughs) the first baseman for the New York Yankees. Who's the first athlete that you ever came in contact with?
1: Um, There's a story behind it. It was uh, May of 1977. I was just out of high school. I graduated in 76. So that tells you how old I am. Um, And I uh, BS'd my way into a media credential with the Angels. I told them I was a photo student at Fullerton College, which I was somewhat. And they got me media pass. I was there at three o'clock in the afternoon for a 7.30 game, I guess it was. And I'm walking down scared to death because the Red Sox are there and that's the only team that matters to me. And I walk down, I walk on the field and the first one to come to me, believe it or not, was Fergie Jenkins. Fergie said, hey, you're a photographer. You, you, you know, that I da, da. we started talking. And he goes, come on, let me show you around. I'll introduce you to the guys. I mean, he introduced me to Yaz, Fisk. You know rice uh carbo all these guys and dwight evans my eyes are like you know i'm like a kid in a candy store so um fergie was the first one i met but uh there's a lot more to that story and, and uh you know i i've i've known fergie to this day and it's what 45 years later almost 50 years later yeah fergie something is like time. that
0: yeah yeah yep. my
1: math is horrible <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, if, if you want to tell a longer story, you go right ahead. I, I'm always fascinated by this stuff. Um, but I, I, I somewhat had the same experience. I became friendly with Jerry Coleman when he was broadcasting for the Yankees. And when they came to Boston when I was in college, he introduced me to people like Ralph Houck, uh, Whitey Ford, uh, some guy named Mantle, and... <laughs> I know what you mean about your eyes popping out of your head, because all I kept thinking was, "Wow, here I am, a kid from Rochester who wants to get into radio, and I'm shaking hands with Mickey Mantle, my hero." <laughs> so I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's an experience that only people like us know about and can remember and treasure.
1: Absolutely, and the 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 um, part of the story is. And this is all true. This is 100% true. I'm not making any of this up. I'm getting ready to go back in the stands. I was talking to Jim Rice. I was talking to Bernie Carbo, um, all these guys, Fisk. And um, uh, uh, Fergie and Rice were standing there and he, he, they said, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm going to go up in the stands and I'll shoot in a better. They said, no, you're standing with us. You sit in the dugout. And I, I'm like, my jaw dropped. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I'm not kidding. Um, Fergie wasn't pitching. He was charting for the next game. He was pitching the next game so he was calling uh George Scott over he said Boomer come on over sit next to this guy we don't want Zimmer to see him (laughs) and I'm literally sitting in the dugout and part of it was I'm sitting there and Dwight Evans is at the plate and he gets called out on a high strike and he comes back to the dugout slams his bat into the bat rat and sit next to me and goes that burns my bleeping and I've, I don't know, as God is my witness, I don't know why I said this. I said, do you will get him next time? And what do you think he did? Yes, he hit a home run. So he looks for me in the dugout, makes a beeline for me and gives me a high five in the dugout. And, I, and I'm like 18 years old thinking it can't get any better than this. You know,
0: <laughs> I had experienced just the opposite. When I met Joe Pepitone, I was I was in awe of the fact that I met him. And the Yankees had a doubleheader schedule the next day. And I said, Joe. Can you hit a home run for me tomorrow night? And he said, I'll do my best. He didn't get a hit in either game. <laughs> so you, you, just, you just never know. Now, I know you did some work for the Hall of Fame. Uh, was that a main job or did you work for a newspaper or were you strictly independent? How did all that happen?
1: Well, uh, there's another great story. I got married to my wife. We're still married. We met over baseball. Uh, she's from San Diego. We're, we're Padre fans. Uh, we live in NorCal now but um, we got married in October of 1995 so we were planning our honeymoon we're like we really don't want to do the you know the Caribbean or Hawaii we'll do that some other time I said let's go to New York City and let's do a traditional we'll go to Niagara Falls we'll go up to Toronto and uh she goes okay but I want to go to the Baseball Hall of Fame I'm like I married the right lady (laughs) so (laughs) we go to the Hall of Fame and uh we're up near the library if any of you have been to the hall of fame you know it's it's three levels and we walked up to the library and it said photo archive department and it's no longer there the archives are in the basement now so it's kind of hard to get to uh and my wife said go on in there and talk to them tell them what you do tell them what you have and uh i said they're not going to give a bleep (laughs) and i walked in there and i met pat kelly and I said, Pat, my name is Bob. I'm from uh, Southern uh, Southern California at the time. And I told her what I did. And she goes, send me what you got. I got a nice letter back. Like after our honeymoon, we love your stuff. Send us all you have. I'm like, cool. So that's how I got in. And I've known Pat to this day. And that's how I met Jeff Idelson was through Pat. And um, Pat called me one day in uh, 07. Uh, was it, I think it was 07. They were opening the. Um, uh, sacred ground exhibit upstairs at the hall of fame where they have all ballpark memorabilia and stuff and Pat calls me and she goes I want you to sign a piece of paper <laughs> we want we want to use your photos on display in the hall of fame and I'm like well okay I think I can afford to do that so that's how I got in and they're still there to this day um uh, another friend of mine she's t- a photographer Jean Fruth she told me she said Bob there's less credited photographers in the hall of fame than there are um, athletes and executives and i thought she's right you know because you know you see most of the regular hall of fame photographers that you you know you see through sports illustrated and things like that and you very rarely see anybody who isn't isn't in connected in the business it's just not done you know they they want a reputable person and i got lucky if that's again being at the right place at the right
0: time yeah i know that feeling now sometimes when you go to the hall of fame You never know who you're going to run into. I went with some friends of mine several years ago, and David Mantle just happened to walk in, Uh, being a member of the, the, the crew, so to speak, of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Did you have any experiences like that of suddenly running into somebody and thinking, wow, I'm getting paid for this?
1: It was 2018 October of 2018. I was back there and I was uh, actually I was talking to Jeff Idelson and um, they were doing something with Roberto Clemente and I'm walking through the hall and standing right next to me is Roberto Alomar before all the you know what hit the fan, but he was very gracious, very nice. And uh, he's the only one I've really seen because um, uh, usually I go in, in the fall when there's less people um it's a lot less crowded so the chances is you know you know it's the luck of the draw if you see some an athlete at the Hall of Fame you know it's very rare and you're very lucky if you do you know and if you do see them I suggest you treat them with respect say thank you very much and uh you know don't bother them too much you know they're there to see stuff too so just you know acknowledge them and and move on
0: yeah we had a we had a very nice chat with David And I told him a a nice story about his father. And he was very appreciative. And he said, you know, I, I never heard that before. And that was quite simply that I met Mickey at Old Timers Day in 1982 at Yankee Stadium. And a photographer took my picture with him and told me later that Mickey only talked to two people that day, Joe Garagiola and me. Well, wow. my ego was so big after that I could have driven myself home in, in a car. So, <laughs> you know that is a that is a great feeling. Um, it is
1: a it is a great feeling because part of that story I told you about me sitting in the dugout. I'm uh, the game's over. The Red Sox won that night, and Rice comes up to me and he goes, "You're gonna be here tomorrow night." And me and my big mouth, I said, "Yeah." Can you get me some tickets? He got me tickets for ten years. He, oh, I have wow. pictures of him at my house. And the funny part is it was 94 and I was in Houston at the Astrodome and they were playing the Rockies and I'm on the field and the hitting coach was Dewey Evans. So I walked up to him, I tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, Dewey. And he looked at me and he goes, you had a blue Trans Am in Southern California, didn't you? Oh, Jesus! <laughs> He's like, no, yeah. how are you, man?" you know, it's old and people are looking at me like, who is this guy? You know, it's kind of fun.
0: I remember, here's a good trivia question. You know who hit the first home run in the Astrodome?
1: Um, Did he wear number seven? He did. (laughs) Yes, Mickey Mantle.
0: He did, Mickey Mantle, and it was in an exhibition game. And I can remember when the Astrodome opened up, Nellie Fox was a member of the Astros, and his first comment when he saw it was, not even the Yankees have this. (laughs) I got I got a kick out of that now is baseball the only sport that you got to cover and other athletes too I hope
1: uh uh, no I've I've done them all uh and right now what I'm doing um I'm working with Cornell University um and their SID Jeremy Hardigan and um um Dartmouth University with Rick Bender um we're trying to put together some podcasts of some of the athletes that aren't you know i, I don't want to do um stuff for you know like cj stroud and people like that who everybody knows i want human interest stories you know like um they they're helping earthquake victims whatever it is you know they're setting up funding somewhere for uh, low income kids and uh we're in we're in the starting stages of it and um it's it's a fun way to get to know the kids you know cuz um like i said i was I felt like an outcast when I was growing up and I really relate to the young people. Um it's you know we kind of speak the same language I guess. Although mine's 64 years old by now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you told me a great story about Gordy Howe. Mr. Oh, Howe oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> again my buddy fergie and he is a friend of mine every time he sees me he's one of the only two people that call me bobby the other one is dale scott the the former umpire he's a good Ah. friend of me too (laughs) dale's funny but uh, we were in las vegas it was I, i believe it was um like major league weekend when they would play at old cashman field and it was cold and windy as hell it was freezing so they had an autograph show there and fergie was there and it was one of these big ones, you know, they had Gordy Howe, you know, just a ton of people. This was 94, 95. And we're sitting there having breakfast with Fergie and his late wife. And um, my wife and I are having a great time just, just talking normally. And sitting two tables over is Gordy Howe. Fergie goes, Gordie, get your ass over here. Come on and join us. And I'm, my eyes, my wife said, my eyes got as big as saucers. Gordy sits next to me and I've got Fergie Jenkins and Gordy house spinning stories back and forth. And I was like a kid in a candy store and Gordy every once in a while would give me an elbow to the ribs, which, <laughs> you know, he was kind of known for that. So, you know, I felt like I was in, he was one of, he was like your grandfather. He was just the nicest guy. And of course, Fergie is Fergie.
0: Baseball is different. We have seen many changes. Uh, I never thought that would be a year without a World Series. I never thought there would be three or four work stoppages in baseball. Um, Do you still have, I still have a passion for it. Do you still have as much of a passion for baseball, even though people like Vince Scully have retired?
1: Yes and no. Um, um, My nephew, who who is a mini-me, he goes to Sacramento State Kevin eats, sleeps, and drinks sports, and that's the way I was with his age. But you know, as, Ken, as you know, as you get older, you kind of get jaded at times. I still love my Red Sox, but I I can't lose sleep over it. It's not worth it. You know, I mean, I I, I want them to win. I'm always there for them, but you know, um, I don't I don't go all out like I used to. I I enjoy visiting the ballparks more and 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 with my camera, trying to tell a story, you know, of, of what the ballpark is like.
0: Um just tell me about about your life and and now now you live out on the West Coast and you like it there, right?
1: Yes and no. <laughs> um I live in uh, I'm in between San Francisco and Sacramento. And um it it it's it's a great place to live. The drought is obviously over. We've had so much rain this year, my backyard's a swamp. But uh, you know, I'm retired now, and we're, my wife and I are trying to decide where we want to settle. And um, there's uh, there's only a few states we're looking at, you know, just because of the political climate and things like that. So, um, you know, it, it's a great place to live because you can you can, especially if you live in Southern California, you can do anything you want. But it'll take you three days to get there because of the traffic. It's just <laughs> getting worse and worse.
0: Must be kind of neat though to listen to a ball game at 10:30 in the morning.
1: <laughs> well, Patriots Day it's on at eight. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, if you're watching it out there, yeah, you're right. And with, my wife and I can watch it. We have, we have our coffee and we'll have a bagel or whatever, and we'll, we'll watch the Red Sox at eight o'clock in the morning. You know,
0: <laughs> not bad. It must it must be helpful too during a World Series or an All Star game or or an NBA basketball game that doesn't start here until like nine o'clock at night you can watch it at six o'clock in the evening out on the patio and have dinner and watch a basketball game.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's um, you know, that's the, one of the, that's the pros and cons of living on the West coast versus the East coast. And uh, you know um, if you're say a Dodger fan or a Padre fan or a Giants fan um, and you live in, you know, Lynn, Massachusetts or something, you're going to, you know, the games are going to start at 10 o'clock at night. You know and you know you're not going to stay up till i i am i'm i'm glad they have a pitch clock now because you know the stepping out every five seconds and doing whatever and throwing the first 14 times it just wore on and you know is every red sox and yankee game was four hours but come on it was it, it got to be ridiculous so that that i'm glad for but you know um you know if Thank God for VCRs, I guess, and, uh, you know, uh, well, not a VCR anymore, excuse me. Um, You know, some of the recording devices you can use on um, um, uh, the satellite channels and things like that. So you can record the game if you want, which makes it a lot easier, you know, if you don't feel like staying up till two o'clock in the morning to find out if they won or lost.
0: It must have been fun between Los Angeles and San Francisco watching people like, Sandy Koufax, Juan Marshall, uh, Willie Mays, Willie McCovey. you must have had a ball.
1: Koufax, to me, was the the best I've ever seen. And I'll tell you who's number two, and you might might kind of cock your head a little bit. It's Nolan Ryan. Have Nolan Ryan pitched for anybody other than the Angels, the Astros, and the Rangers? If you would have pitched for the Dodgers or the Red Sox or the Yankees or Cincinnati or something, he would've won 400 games without a doubt. He pitched with bad teams and Sandy was just Sandy. Billy Williams, true story. Um, I talked to Billy in Chicago. Uh, We were on the field at Wrigley and Fergie and Billy were there. Fergie hadn't played yet. uh, Wasn't with the Cubs yet. And this was uh, when Sandy threw his perfect game. I said, Billy, tell me about that. And he goes, and he looks at me. He goes, let me tell you something. He goes, Becker comes back to the dugout going, Oh, Sandy doesn't have bleep tonight. We're going to get him good. Billy was two hitters later, and he comes walking back. He goes, "Forget it, boys, it's over." We <laughs> He said Sandy was throwing so hard his hat, it, and he never did this. His hat flew off. The last six guys, I think he struck out, and he struck out. You know, it, it's it's the most iconic call of a non World Series game. Two and two to Harvey Keen, one strike away. Yep. And, and it's ingrained in my mind. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Sandy was that good. And he had two pitches, you know, cur- same with Ryan, basically, you're going to get a curveball, You're going to get a fastball and you're going to get the fastball and you're not going to hit it anyways. You know, they can tell you what's coming. You're not going to, I've seen Ryan up close. It was amazing how hard he threw. I, I just shook my head. I, I couldn't hit that with a, with an, oar. it was that fast.
0: I know the cut that you're, that you're talking about. I've heard it many times because Scully announces the time, uh, you know, it's nine fifty-six in the city of the angels and all that. And he said that he did that for Koufax so that when he gave him a tape of it, he would have that to remember.
1: And one, another great thing with Vin, unlike a lot of the, the screamers of today um, is um Vin would sit back like when Gibson hit the home run uh, off of Eckersley in the in the uh, 88 World Series. He pulled back and for like a minute didn't say a word. He he let the crowd tell you what was going on. And then, in, in, you know, in the year of the impossible or the improbable happened, da 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 uh, yep. But Vin had a way of, I don't want to say milking the moment, but seizing the moment with this broadcast. He was one of a kind. He He got it.
0: Well you got you guys were lucky because he um you know this was a, a a city where a lot of people were mobile in the cars, and this is how Scully got famous because that's how everybody used to listen to him besides listening to him and I mean, I was in Dodger Stadium once and you heard his voice all over the ballpark. it was like yeah. listening to God talking to his disciples,
1: absolutely. And Sandy never, or excuse me, Vin, uh, they've asked Vin many times, of course, Vin is no longer with us, but uh, they, Vin, who's your favorite Dodger? And he never would answer. He, he was very diplomatic about that, but I think he had a very, I think he had a very soft spot for Jackie and Sandy. Uh, um, Sandy, um, Willie Mays. I, I, there's a, a, a thing on, uh, you can find it on YouTube where it's Willie Mays, Sandy Koufax, uh, Hank Aaron, and uh johnny bench talking to bob costas and you know William is high pitched. you know he goes like that and it was the way he said it it was so funny he goes you know i i still couldn't hit sandy with anything and then i get Drysdale the next day and i get knocked down the first at bat he goes it was <laughs> work you know you know and sandy had said he's afraid to hit somebody because he he's afraid of hurting him really bad so drysdale was just mean <laughs> on the mound forget it
0: yeah like, i had a chance had a chance to interview Drysdale once uh in spring training. And uh when he, he talked about being in the minor leagues and uh uh going through Rochester, uh where I grew up when he when they when they played with uh, Montreal. So wow. those so were old, you know
1: Old Silver Stadium uh in in uh in Rochester.
0: Yep. 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 There were uh, the, the minor leagues, I think, have lost something uh after all that's happened. And and you never know, you never knew uh, who you would watch and who would become famous. Absolutely. Um I can remember our Rochester announcer when Boog Paul was there saying that he should stay in the minor leagues for another year. He went up to Baltimore and became rookie of the year instead. <laughs> So hey, you
1: had, have you had Boog's barbecue at uh, Camden Yards yet?
0: I have not. We have been to Camden Yards but I have not had um I have not had the pleasure of that. It, but it,
1: I it's pretty good. <laughs> it's certainly really
0: remember cool. him as a as a ball player. Um what managers were you ever close to if any?
1: Um believe it or not Tommy Lasorda
0: um,
1: and this <laughs> another, yeah Tommy is Tommy was, when the cameras were on, so was Tommy. Uh, that's the best way to put it. I never had a problem with Tommy. Uh, I've met him several times. Um, and and uh, my mom was having uh, open heart surgery. She was having a, an aortic valve replaced. And she was at Good Sam Hospital in L.A. and she was really out of it. And she hated Losorda and the Dodgers. She just couldn't stand him. So I called Tommy in San Diego. I'll never forget this. And I said, Tommy, and I told him who I was. I told him what was going on. He goes, "What's your mom's name? What's her room number?" So about 45 minutes later, my dad called and he said, "Tommy Losorda just called your mother." And now you couldn't after that. You couldn't say anything bad about Tommy to my mom. It was it was over, you know. So. Um, but Tommy, uh, I'm trying to think. I've met Dick Williams a few times. Um, uh, um, God, I'm trying to think there's so many times I've been on the field and I know I've run into a lot of managers and Chad, Oh, um, Tito Francona, uh, Tito, uh, Terry Francona. Nice guy. Love Terry Francona. Great guy. Yep.
0: yep. Never had the chance to, uh, to meet Francona, but I remember a great story in, in Lasorda's book when he was pitching for Montreal he was in a situation where the bases were loaded and he called time and just stared at the sky. And the umpire came out and said, what are you doing? And Lasorda's comment was, I'm talking to God. And the ump just said, oh, okay. And he went back, he went, he went back behind the plate. Um, long-term baseball contracts. Your pal Xander Bogarts has one with San Diego um uh, Rafi Devers signed an 11-year contract with the Red Sox. Bryce Harper has one with Philadelphia. I have never been in favor of that uh and I'm curious to see your thoughts on it.
1: I don't like it at all because you're going to get um uh Devers and these guys Aaron Judge all these guys who signed these, you know, long-term deals, you're going to get them at 38, 39, 40, they're going to be worthless, you know, and you're 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 paying, you know, now to pay later you're playing now to pay later I guess and uh, you know it's I don't know it it's hard to fathom how much money these guys make it you know it, the normal person is never going to see anything close to that and um, you know it, it's I don't know that's part of the the problem with, me, with pro sports now to me is uh, uh these big high contracts and they're some of these guys have prima donna attitudes you know and it's like look dudes we're the guys are paying your salary um and the way they treat people that that really rubs me the wrong way you better you better uh Mike Trout always treats people with respect he always has time for the kids uh Shohei Otani is the same way guys like that yes I you know um but you know Otani and Trout are being wasted in Anaheim you know they're they've been um, Um, Pigeonholed, and the Angels haven't been very good for 10 years you know and you got two of the best players in the history of the game there and they don't go to the playoffs that's just ridiculous
0: it's too bad because I mean California or Los Angeles is where the Angels are ripe for it Um, and it's kind of disappointing to see that happen especially with all that all that great well San Diego is getting better I mean, they had problems for a long time, but uh, they seem to be getting better.
1: Yeah, they're a lot better. They're they're a really really good team, and of course, Tatis is coming back at the end of the month, and that's just another weapon. Um, you know, everybody freaks out if you're two and three at the start of the season. You're supposed to be good. It's, it's like you sit back and you go, look, you got 158 games to go. Don't worry about it. They're going to be fine. You know, don't don't push the People are too. Too keen to push the panic button on uh, April 10th, you know, oh, my God, my team's one in four. Don't worry about <laughs> it. It's a long year. They're going to be, you know, they could go on to 10 and two run and you'll be fine. You know, don't worry about it. <laughs> but That's if, you know, as a fan, I can understand that as a fan, it's, you know, you can cuss your team out, but nobody else can, you know, you know what I mean? And, you know, I know a lot of people live and die with teams, especially the Red Sox. Yep. And I have deep New England roots too. So that's why I'm a Red Sox fan. <laughs>
0: Are you in favor of free agency?
1: Well, yeah. Um it's gotten a bit out of the hand, but you know, the owners honestly, they did it to themselves. They could have paid these guys and and worked things out, but you know, greed. Greed is one of the worst things ever, you know, power and greed, you know, the and 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 You know, sometimes in negotiations, they treat these players like crap, you know. And, you know, why the Red Sox didn't resign Bogarts just baffles me. But, oh, well, that's for another day, I guess. I
0: I feel the same way. I uh, have told the story about, I remember when Jason Veritek's contract was coming to an end. And he went to Scott Boris, who was his agent at the time, and said, look, I don't care what anybody else offers me. I'm staying right here. I don't want to go anywhere. Final fini. That's it. And that's what he did. And Bogarts could have done the same thing, but he did not.
1: Yeah. So- I, think that, I think there was too much water under the bridge for Bogarts and, and the Red Sox. And I don't like some of their dealings, the, the way the Red Sox handle players. Now um, it just, freedom them as a family, make them feel wanted. You know, I mean, you're going to get a better product. It's, it's, it's not rocket science, you know? Um, You know, I I was, I was expecting them to trade Devers to be honest with you, but you know, I think they would, may have tore Fenway Park down if they did that. Um, And uh, you know, it's like here in Oakland, if you could be A's, I can't name three guys on that team, you know, (laughs) and they're charging those, those people in Oakland are charging Yankee Stadium prices for tickets and they can't, you know, they, they they're doing the uh, the old major league thing. They want to move um, that ballpark in downtown Oakland is never, ever going to happen. It's been, what, 10 years now. It's never going to happen, you know, um, and I I don't know. It, the Oakland Coliseum is horrible. Anyways, it is. It is a dump. It's probably the worst in Major League Baseball.
0: That's too bad, because whenever the Red Sox go there, they always talk about the great weather.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, that, that is true. But you know, if you went to a game at candlestick, <laughs> you might as well go to a Patriots game in November. And I'm not making it up. In July, you dress warm to go to candlestick park because the microclimate where candlestick was is very weird. It's like a reverse climate. And the coldest, you know, Mark Twain said, what what did he say? Something the coldest summer I ever spent was in San Francisco or something like that. And yeah. um, and and know it, and it's true you you see people going to game when they used to go to games there it's gone now but uh at candlestick people would bundle up like you know they're going to a packers game in lambo in december uh, and uh, you know blankets you know ice cream sales were nil everybody was eating drinking coffee or hot chocolate or maybe some other thing they snuck in you know
0: to keep warm <laughs> all right if you were the commissioner of baseball And had all the money in the world, nobody told you what to do. What would you do?
1: Wow, that's a good question. Um, I am not a fan of analytics at all. I don't care about launch angle. You know, the baseball has changed and not for the good, in my opinion, with all these stats that you know it, it the stat nerds who have never played the game in their life are coming up with all this stuff and i get some of it i understand that like positioning players where where they the tendency where they're going to hit i'm glad they got rid of the shift that was ridiculous um but just the amount of stats that are useless that they keep spewing at us that that drives me crazy. i would change that if i could um I'd still keep a pitch clock, but I tinker with it a little. I like that idea. Get the bases back where they were. I mean, you're going to have clown shoes out there next. I mean, uh, I I don't know, um, but I, I would try to get it back to the way it was when we were kids. You know, in games when we were kids, you get Sandy out there pitching against you know Tom Seaver or something, or or, or Gibby, It was it was an hour and forty nine minutes. You know, two hours, and you were gone. You know i would change i would the one thing i really would change at uh, which they've done is stepping out of the box every five minutes or stepping off the mound walking around doctoring the ball you know throwing the first 14 times in a row that just wears on you and the game is like come on and it leaves your fielders you know flat you know because this guy's throwing over to first base all the time you know and then the balls hit to you and all of a sudden you got to react you know but you're lulled into a state of um not hypnotic or anything, but you're lulled into a lower state. And uh, I'm glad they they finally did something to that. But um, yeah, and I keep the designated hitter in both leagues. I like the DH. Nobody wants to see a pitcher hit. It's just, you know, um, and it does keep some of the older, older players around longer, like Miggy Cabrera and uh, Nelson Cruz. You know, the guys can still hit, but they can't play the field. And I like that. That's fine.
0: Um. I remember the days when a world series game started at one o'clock in the afternoon. Yes. And not at nine o'clock at night. We would have, um, if we
1: were good kids in junior high school or grade school, when I was there, um, they would wheelie TV and, and we would watch some of the world series. One I can remember is 1970, the Reds and the uh, Orioles. And I remember that. and um, junior high school um they actually had um i was in broadcasting believe it or not in junior high school they had uh, my uh calder junior high in buena park california had a, a a radio station it's now part of uh, Fullerton College, which is right up the road. Um, and I was uh, the first year, one of the first year jobs. And, you know, we introduced, uh, we, I was 12, 13 years old. And we introduced, uh, it was educational programming. It wasn't like, you know, the Beatles are up next or, you know, that was the Stones with Honky Tonk Woman. No, it wasn't anything like that. But, you know, we learned how to talk on the radio and, and be a friend with the mic. Because, as you know, Ken, a lot of people get mic fright they look at it and go, oh my god <laughs> you know they, they they've got the deer in the headlights look and um, i i tell people i they said do you get nervous and i said no because uh if you're doing an interview or you're talking to somebody on the radio it's one on one you don't think about the people listening you want to bring out the questions that they're going to enjoy um but uh you 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 uh you you look at your guest and make him the most important person on the show you know uh they can hear you anytime you want to find out about them it doesn't matter who it is it could be um you know uh getty lee of rush or or it could be um you know chris sale or somebody with the bruins you want them to be the most important person there not you
0: i think now it is harder for people who are aspiring to get into broadcasting because these days, if you played ball in any sport, you're qualified to be a to be a broadcaster. The days of a Red Barber and Mel Allen working together, or a Russ Hodges and Lon Simmons uh, working together out on the West Coast, or even a Vince Scully and Jerry Doggett working together, are gone. Yep. I mean, yeah, there I are some good ones. There are some good ones. Rick Mundy is very good. Uh, I enjoyed listening to him. Um, there are two broadcast professional broadcasters in Cleveland, um, Tom Hamilton and Jim Rosenhaus. Uh, and I'm sure there are others off the top of my head, but it's not as easy anymore for aspiring people that love a sport and want to get into it.
1: No, it's not. And if you have a great announcer, you want to keep them forever. And I think you know where I'm going to go with this. San Diego yeah. picked a gem when they got uh, uh announcer boy, Don Orsillo. Orsillo and Orsillo and Remy had the chemistry. Orsillo and uh uh Grant have the chemistry in, in San Diego and, and they make the broadcast fun, you know, because honestly, if you listen to a, a baseball game, if they don't have anecdotes or not fill you with a bunch of useless stats, it can be kind of boring, but you know, if they, they're, you know, they, they, you know, you know, Don, I mean, Jerry would make him crack up at anything or he'd ask him how when he's packing for his trip, you know, especially if the game was a blowout. So it was entertainment, you know, as well as watching the game and, and, um to this day i don't know anybody who gets more excited than donnie when uh, somebody hits a home run you know um his new call it's uh you know it's in a sea of san diegans you know if they hit in the bleachers so you know <laughs> but, but that's don you know and he's he's living the life on coronado fishing and and uh um going to the ballpark you know which isn't far from coronado and um he's got it going on he, he, he i'm very happy for him don's a nice guy
0: he is, and uh, he's a guy who landed on his feet uh, when he got let go. I don't, know, I don't know why ball clubs sometimes do what they do. I will never understand why the Yankees let Mal Allen go, uh, the Pirates let Bob Prince go. Uh, I, do, I don't understand moves like that. I can remember reading in a book when um, Lindsay Nelson, after being with the Mets for 14, 15 years, went in and announced he was going to leave and they said why and he said because i don't want the same thing to happen to me that happened to mel allen wow
1: but, yeah you've got you've got something i mean you know the dodgers did it right scully wasn't going anywhere he wasn't going to new york he, he had already been in brooklyn um he you know and then i believe i'm not, I'm not correct the l.a times had a um, uh uh um a contest, who was the most popular athlete in Southern California history? Vin Scully won as a broadcast. <laughs> I mean, everybody I know, we grew up listening to Vin Scully, the transistor radio kids of the 60s. That's how I got into shoot, photographing ballparks, stadiums, and arenas, was I would listen to Vin. You know, as an eight-year-old with a transistor under my pillow, I remember it had a brown case and it was green. I remember it like it was yesterday. And Vin would describe Connie Mack Stadium, Ebbets Field, all these old ballparks in the way only Vin could tell you. And it was like you were sitting right there. There's announcers like that, you know, Mel Allen, um, Red Barber, Vin. They make you feel like you're right inside the ballpark, you know, and you're seeing it. that you can picture it with your eyes closed. That's yep. how good they were. And that I, is a talent that is you cannot teach that. You cannot teach it. That is, that is a gift.
0: I I told Mel Allen once, I said, Mel, when you're on the air, it's like having a box seat right behind home plate.
1: <laughs> yeah, the um, you know, we had Lon Simmons out here in San Francisco and, and Russ Hodges who probably has the most famous world uh playoff call of all time the Giants win the pennant you know in 51. um and uh you know Lon Simmons you know he he was an institution here and uh, hank greenwald was another one the old cigar chomping hank you know he would he would be in the press box he was he was like our west coast version of johnny most you know he had the cigar and his little bit of nose but as you know johnny most would come in with a couple of packs of cigarettes a lighter and a cup of coffee and he was ready to go you know
0: yep i knew johnny very well uh, as a matter of fact i worked with him at bz when i was there and um he was he was great Now, I've had different writers, when I say writers, I'm talking about Lee Montville or Bob Ryan, et cetera, et cetera, all tell me that athletes are not as accessible as they used to be. Is that one of the reasons why you decided to retire?
1: No, um, I, 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 I'm i not retired from what I do in my ballparks. I'm retired from commercial photography or real estate, um, you know, shooting buildings, weddings, things like that. I don't do that anymore. The pandemic came and my wife told me, she goes, do you really want to go back to that? And I'm like, no, um, no, no, I, I've had enough. So I've got all my cameras. I still travel and still shoot. And I will not, I will do that the rest of my life. It's fun for me. It's not a job. You know, uh, my buddies say they, they get mad at me once a day or something If they're watching the game and they see me on the field they're like look at this guy you know we know him when you know and he's dancing <laughs> with his cameras and, but you know it, you get a different view uh from the when you're on the field especially for football those guys hit so hard and it's amazing they just pop right back up i, I just shake my head like wow <laughs> but you know you get a different perspective on the field as in baseball if you're sitting a photographer as well or whatever you see the game differently you see it from their eyes because you're 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 street level right there you know and uh you can you know y- you can hear all the um colorful language if somebody pops up and you know slams his bat down and you're right you get it full volume and i tell people i say if you don't have a thick skin don't go into a major league dugout or step foot on a field don't do it <laughs> you will be because you know they have um uh, Ken, as you know, they have colorful ways of using BF bomb, and I've heard it fourteen thousand different ways from players. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it and nobody thinks about it. It's not derogatory. It's just part of being a baseball player. We did it in high school. They did it in Little League. Everybody does. It's not a big deal, you know. But um it, it's just it's just part of the the, the baseball lexicon. Is uh, I don't even know if there's a, a clubhouse list, but you must learn profanity or something. You know? <laughs> yeah.
0: It is. It is different. Uh, Marty Appel, who is a great writer out here on the East Coast, has written books on on Thurman Munson, uh, wrote a great book on on New York Yankee history. And I heard John Sterling, the Yankee announcer, interview him one night and he said, what did you learn? that you didn't know before you wrote this book. And he said, I never realized that during the all-star game, ballplayers actually played the whole game, not one inning. He never knew that before.
1: Yeah. Um, Willie Mays uh, has said on many of the interviews, he said he expected to play nine innings in an all-star game. Hank Aaron said the same thing, you know, it was a matter of pride back then, you know, and when, when, um, ceiling made it this it counts now that he ruined it it's look bud I'm sorry but it's an exhibition game yes they want to win but number two you don't want to get somebody hurt you know Harman Killebrew got hurt in an all-star game with the one with Ray Fosse where he got bowled bowled over by Pete Rose um you know it ruined his career you know you don't want players hurt like that and I understand that you know you've got um a 30 million dollar first baseman he does the splits and pulls a hamstring or tears a groin there you go, you know, and there goes your season, you know, your, your star player is gone. So, um, and I, and back then, um, it just seemed like it wasn't as, you know, the home run derby and all the stuff they've got now, it, the, uh, the all-star game that sticks out to my mind. And I, I know you'll probably agree with this with 71 in Detroit with the wind blowing out, you know, and Reggie hitting a light transform. That's ingrained in my mind. And, you know, th- th- I think there was 22 hall of famers in that game you know, before they were in the hall of fame, that's a lot, you know, I mean, you had the likes of guys like uh, Al Kaline on the bench, <laughs> you, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you know, you got, um, I think Yaz was on the bench too, no, I think he started, but, uh, there was a lot of guys that were on the bench, you know, that were would start any other all-star game, but the lineups were stacked. You didn't have anybody to go around, you know,
0: one or two last questions. Uh, everybody says they remember their first ball game that they ever went to. I remember the first Yankee game I ever went to. I remember the first game I went to at Fenway park. I remember going with my dad when I was growing up in Rochester, the first major league ball game I ever went to with him. It was when Havana had a team in the international league. Do you remember yours?
1: Absolutely. Actually on my website. Um, there's two black and white pictures at Dodger Stadium. It was, uh, I think, May of 67. Dodgers were playing the Mets. Claude Osteen was pitching. He threw a, a two to nothing shutout. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And those I took those two photos. I was eight years old. And I walked out. We were in the upper deck. And I walked out. And I remember, and and it's it's a common reaction. I couldn't believe how green and how big that, the field was. It, was. it was the biggest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I was eight years old. And uh, I remember that. I remember my first time at Fenway it was July 11th, 1976, the day before the All-Star break. Hot, humid, muggy. I know that's shocking in New England in July, right? <laughs> but yeah. the, uh, the Sox were playing the Twins. And this was before I met Fergie. Uh, Fergie was pitching for the Red Sox. And they beat the twins and Bill Singer five to three. Fred Lynn hit a home run on the first and Yaz played and I was happy. My mom and dad, it was my first trip to New England. Uh, My mom was from Lowell, Massachusetts. And uh, all my cousins and everything are all from New England. I'm the only one born in California in my family. And uh, I remember uh, my cousins were like, well, we're going to go see the Queen of England in a parade. And I'm thinking, no, I'm going to see the Red Sox. So they dropped me off at Fenway Park. I got in, did everything. I, I I I remember it like it was yesterday. It was so hot and humid. We don't have that in California, but I loved every second about it. You know, you're walking into a cathedral. You're, you know, uh, and and my wife thought the first thing when she walked into Yankee Stadium with me, she goes, "I can't." Babe Ruth played here. Lou Gehrig played here. Mickey Mantle played here. You know and they tore it down. That to me is. Ugh. Don't get me. You know, that's,
0: <laughs> it's, it's interesting that you say that because when I went to Yankee Stadium for the first time, it was back in the day when when a game ended, they would let you go out on the field and use it as an exit to get out of the ballpark. And I remember walking onto the field with my dad and I said, listen, let's let's make this last. Let's take this slow because this is where Babe Ruth played. Bobby Richardson stood out here. Mickey Mantle stood out here. Let's not hurry. <laughs> so I know exactly what your wife is talking about.
1: It, 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 you know, the first time uh, people go to Fenway Park and they message me on Facebook or, or send me an email, they're like, you're right, this place is special. I said, yeah, it is. It's over 100 years old. They've done a great job with the rehab. They've got new lights now, which will make it even easier, better for photographers, uh, especially with night games. And it's, it's still... It's modernized, but Fenway um, still has the, the old time feel to it. It, it. It's like you were harking back to the 30s. You could you could see Ted Williams out there running around or, you know, Bobby Doerr or, or, you know, Johnny Pesky or Don DiMaggio, any of these guys. And uh, it, it to this day, I still get a chill when I walk into Fenway Park, and I've been there countless times. It's just there's something about Fenway Park.
0: Well, before we wrap this up, uh, would you like to plug your website for our audience in case they want to take a look at it and have any closing comments that you would like to make?
1: I sure would. I appreciate that. Uh, my ballpark um, website, and I've been, mind you, I've been doing this 50 years. So there's uh, um, over 1,200 slideshows of pro, minor, major sporting events, uh, places that people have, have only heard about. And uh, so I have some of the only photos of the. Uh, uh, the old Denver arena where the Denver Rockets of the ABA played. I've got I've got the only known clubhouse images uh, of that building. There are they're scarce, and I've got quite a few. They're they're grainy because I was using high-speed film back then, and da-da-da-da-da. But um my website is ballparks.smugmug.com. I and like that. Yeah, it's very easy. It's very simple.
0: I like that very much. Listen, I, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have. Listening to your insights and, and comments about uh, the sports that we that we both love and enjoy. And uh, we'll have to do this again sometime and see what else we can come up with.
1: Ken, I want you on my podcast, too. It's uh, called In the Clubhouse on uh, YouTube. And uh, I'm, I'm ramping it up again. I was uh, inactive for a little bit due to some... Um, things here at the house nothing major but uh, i just wanted to concentrate on that but i'm i'm coming donna's coming on donna halper she's like my go-to you know you you give donna one question and you just sit back and let her go and it it's not repetitive she is very smart and very oh yeah she's very knowledgeable just like you are you know um you, you can have a decent conversation with people about screaming and yelling, you know, no, <laughs> oh, you earlier that, you know, when, when we get the screamers and the yellers and like Bruce, Mad Dog Russo, you've lost me. I yeah. I, I don't care about that. I, you know, give me the information. It, it, it's, it's not a, a, a screaming contest.
0: Well, listen, I'm available anytime. Uh, I hope our listeners enjoyed this and they will uh, uh, go to your website and check things out. And uh, I hope you have a good year. And I hope your Giants and my Red Sox are in a World Series.
1: That would be great. But I'm I'm always going to be a Red Sox fan. So even if the <laughs> Giants are in, I'm pulling for the Sock. Go Sox. Go Bruins. Go Celts. Go Patriots. Go BU. <laughs> and you Boston College. Back, go ahead.
0: move back to Boston.
1: Um,
0: move back to Boston.
1: Um, yeah. I'd, I'd love to. We're thinking we talking about. We'll see what happens. But, uh, you (laughs) know, my wife's a San Diego girl, so the winters are a little rough, but we'll see what happens.
0: Well, listen, thanks again for your time. And that will do it for another edition of City Talk. Thanks for listening to another great conversation with Ken Meyer and friends. You can contact Ken by email. The address is kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. That's K J M E Y E R 7 at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more conversation with Ken Meyer on City Talk.